Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.53 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is January the 9th, 2023. This is episode 655 of Bitcoin and Happy New Year. Hope all of you guys had a great break, a great, you know, hang out, you know, a great amount of time to hang out with your families, cook a lot of food, just, and just detox from 2022 because you're going to need it. 2023 is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. I don't honestly think, and you know, Doomer, you know, was like, oh, I don't really want to, this is bad news. No, no, no. It's not that it's bad news. It's that it's fact. You got to deal with the fact. I don't think 2023 is going to be all that much better. But what can be better is how we all deal with it right? And one of the ways that I've been dealing with it is by exploring new technologies, one of which is, has basically become my favorite. And, you know, you get booted off of Twitter, you go over to what? The Fediverse, right? That just, I don't know, man, doesn't have a lot of traction for me and it never kind of did. I tried but it was just so awful, you know, well, it's not awful. It's just that it's jagged. It's got a jagged, rocky, fragmented feel. And I think that has something to do with the nature of uh, the Fediverse. And the fact is that it's federated, but it's not just because it's federated. It's because you have instances, which is part of the whole deal of federation in this particular model, But those instances have moderators and it appears that all the moderators, or not all, but so many of the moderators in in Fediverse are just woke. And they wanna push the same bullshit narrative that they were pushing on us on Twitter over here on on Fediverse. So Noster comes in and this thing, ladies and gentlemen, honestly, I haven't seen anything like this since Bitcoin and in a very real way, because it's not dealing with money, right? It's almost as if Noster is what would have happened to the Bitcoin development team had it not been for the fact that they were making money, right? Making a money, not making money, making a money, building a monetary system, you know, building a token of value. And if it wasn't for the fact that you got to take that shit just do so seriously that you don't really want to break anything, right? Unlike the people over at, you know, at Shitcoin Central and Ethereum and all that, those places where they will break shit. It doesn't matter if it's money or not. They don't care, right? And that's a problem 
But in a situation where you're talking about communications and new ways of communicating over internet protocol, you get something like Noster going on and all of a sudden, it, you're not going to kill anybody at all if you break something in your client that is connecting to the Noster network for lack of a better term, right? So what I've seen, like over Christmas, for the two week break that I was out, I was updating Domus on my iPhone like every other day because they had a new release. And every single time this thing came out, there was a new feature, but it wasn't a shitty feature. It was a good feature and it was exciting to play with. And then all of a sudden within, I think it was within a week that I got to Colorado, Lightning Network was 100% integrated into, into the Domus client. And then all of a sudden I started seeing other clients. I wasn't using them because most of these other clients are desktop clients or Android or whatever, mostly desktop. There's only Domus as far as I know is the only iOS app for a, a Nostra client that I know of. But all these other people started integrating Lightning too. It was almost as if it was just Oh, we've been, we've been in this rodeo before we, it took so long to get, you know, tipping of any kind into Twitter. And that was by a third party, like stuff like bottle pay and a couple of other companies. <coughs> but this time guys, it went so fast. Lightning popped up in Domus so damn fast that it made my head spin and it works. I can tip somebody directly, you know, from their profile. It looks like. William Kassarin is about to release a situation where you can tip directly to somebody's post or as it's known in, in Nosterville, an event, which is like, you know, you tweet something that's in Noster, that's an event, right? So you'll be able to tip directly that event from your lightning wallet and get this. When you tip somebody in Noster on Domus, you have a wallet, wallet selection list that you can use. You can use Cash App, you can use Strike, you can use Wallet of Satoshi, you can use Blue Wallet, and it allows you to select it instead of defaulting to something that you don't want to use just because you have it on your phone somewhere, right? So if you guys have not tried Noster, it's really easy. Just go if you're on desktop, domus.io is now defunct and they've changed it to something called yosup.app. That's Y-O-S-U-P dot A-P-P. And that's the old Domus client that's been kind of rewritten. I won't get into why they closed the old Domus client, but that's desktop. On iOS, you got Domus. So go look for that, except that it's in test flight and the beta is actually kind of close to new entrance right now. So you're kind of hosed on that. But dude, there's what I got. I got astral.ninja on desktop. There is, uh, let's see, what else is there? Snort.noster, S-N-O-R-T dot N-O-S-T-R. And there's iris.noster. Is that not, yeah, no, that's, I. sorry, it's snort, not snort.noster. It's just look for snort and noster in your favorite search browser, you'll find it. Then go look for Iris <coughs> and uh, and uh, Noster, and you'll find that one too. And Iris is pretty slick. I was using it last night for the first time, and it's it's 
very, very well done. You got to do this. Elon's tanking. He's, it's not that he's tanking Twitter. He doesn't care about Twitter's original mission. What he bought was not Twitter. You have to get this through your head. What he bought was Twitter's, what, 400 million, uh, 400 million strong client list, their phone numbers, their emails, all their data. Do you not think that that's by itself not worth potentially $44 billion? It could be, especially if he integrates banking. And I think that that's what he wants to turn it into. I don't think he wants Twitter to look anything like Twitter used to look like. If you want that experience, then you need to start identifying yourself on the Nostra network with your public keys. You can do all of that through Domus, okay? If you don't know how even where to begin, just go to just go to, you know, like a start searching around for Domus, start searching around for Nostra, start searching around, do a little bit of work. It's not that hard. I've saw a uh, uh, an event posted the other day, actually this morning. This guy's like, I got on Domus, um, or it's, no, I got on Noster. I was able to, and then he listed off getting private keys, getting public keys, making his, you know, uh, getting his headshot in there for his avatar, setting all his colors up, being able to integrate his Lightning wallet, and he's not all that technical, and he did it all within 10 minutes. It really isn't that hard. And the, the, the faster you start, the more the, the, the quicker you get your identity and branding and whatever, your, your avatar up there so people can start getting to know you, the better off you're going to be because I don't see the Twitter slide stopping anytime soon, right? So you might as well just have a, a way to offload yourself to somewhere else. And it's been absolutely fascinating to watch. It's like watching... Watching the Noster development right now is it's even it was even it's even better than watching the old Bitcoin development because it's going so much faster and it's just it's a thing of beauty. Trust me, please go. Go now. Do not pass go. Do not stop for your paycheck of two hundred dollars. Just go to Noster, find a client, and then start using them all, right? and then settle on the one that cottons to you the best. But when you're using multiple clients, that's when you'll see what Nostra allows for, and that is this. I can post from any client, and I can see any of my posts from any client. For the most part, all of my followers come along with me, and when I move to another client, I'm just logging in with my public key. I'm not having to create a CSV file of all my followers like you would on Mastodon and take it over to another instance. No, no, it all comes along for the ride. The people you follow, the people who follow you, all of your replies, all of your posts, all of your DMs, all of anything that you can put up on Noster as an, as an event type, a DM is a different event type than a post, which is different than a reply. These are all different events but all of them are just there. And it doesn't matter what window, i.e. client, you use to look at what you've done, it's all there. There's no mechanism for cancelization. That's going to be important moving forward, especially in 2023, because 
I don't see this clown show stopping anytime soon. Now, let's get into the news. <coughs> Bitcoin Lightning podcasting app Fountain releases update aimed at improving a new user's experience. This is written by BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. Fountain Podcasts, a lightning-enabled podcast app designed to facilitate value-for-value transactions, has introduced their 0.6.0 update with many features oriented towards capturing new value-for-value users. In a blog post, Fountain highlighted the new ability to fund your Fountain account via a partnership with MoonPay. Through this partnership, Users can now use a debit card or a credit card to purchase Satoshis, which arrive in the app's wallet shortly thereafter. The update also brings the arrival of the activity page, a feed which shows popular episodes and clips. The release describes how, quote, this is just the first of many new social discovery features we will be adding to Fountain that uses money as a signal for value, end quote. In addition to these larger updates, several UI changes were implemented, including a new content card design, the ability to reply to clips, clips and comments being displayed on the episode pages under activity, and more. Through the Fountain app, podcasters can receive sats for the content that they provide, while listeners can receive sats for likes on their comments or clips. Streaming your favorite podcaster sats on a minute-by-minute basis provides a direct link between the consumer and the content creator and is a way to empower these creators using Lightning. By facilitating this value-for-value model, podcasters can avoid external sources of funding. And in many industries, but especially in the Bitcoin industry, these external sources can introduce conflicts of interest, which can potentially even prove more harmful to consumers who trust their favorite podcasters. With software like Fountain, these consumers can directly support these podcasters and reduce the potential for such events. Indeed, I am on Fountain. That is my daily driver for (coughs) all the podcasts that I listen to. And my podcast, or this one that you're listening to, is indeed on Fountain. If you are not using Fountain app to listen to this podcast, I recommend that you do. Try something new. Guys, the, the walled garden model that that many of you may have actually just grown up not knowing anything else than the walled garden model. And this goes back to AOL, by the way, America Online. That was a walled garden. When people thought of the internet, they thought of AOL because that's how they got onto, quote unquote, the internet. The problem was, is that all the content that you saw was inside of AOL's walled garden. And it wasn't until people started screaming that they wanted that when they discovered that there was other things out there, but they couldn't get to it through AOL. Well, that was when AOL started to collapse and degrade, right? The walled garden of Twitter, the walled garden of Facebook, the walled garden of MySpace, the wall. These are all walled gardens. That model is on fire. That was one of the other things that I discovered over Christmas break and using Noster was just how much on fire this old model is. If you want to get out of that, then you've got to start using something that is not walled gardens. Fountain app may turn into a walled garden. Who knows, right? But for right now, it's not. Noster, not a walled garden. Fediverse, I don't know, hard to say. I don't think it's a walled garden, but it's just too 
janky for me right now. <clears throat> it's going to be important. It's going to be important to learn how to use all these things now rather than later. Let's move on. 91% of cryptos from 2014 have died oh, while Bitcoin continues to thrive. <coughs> BTC Casey again for Bitcoin Magazine. A recent report by Coin Kickoff demonstrates the failures of various altcoin projects throughout the years and how Bitcoin is the standout survivor. According to their data, 91% of the coins that were present for the 2014 cryptocurrency market crash are now entirely abandoned. A large portion of coins that are now dead were created in 2017, with 704 now dead coins being created that year. The crown for the single most deadly year in cryptocurrency history goes to 2018, during which 751 coins became fully defunct. A visualization created by Coin Kickoff illustrates just how many of these projects came and went, along with their respective reasoning for failures. Reasons include being a scam or other related issues, being a joke or having entirely no purpose at all, being an ICO or short-lived scheme, or simply running entirely out of volume. <laughs> Bitcoin, in the midst of all this, has remained strong. Hash rate has continued a steady climb, now up to 270 exahashes per second, according to Hash Rate Index. In addition, more than 1 million addresses now hold one Bitcoin or greater, although it should be noted that Bitcoiners may use multiple addresses. Beyond that, over $14 trillion in annual transaction volume was carried over the Bitcoin network the past year, which is a 13,900% increase from 2015's transaction volume. And just as those metrics grow, the amount of Bitcoin held on exchanges reached new lows indicating that more Bitcoiners than ever are holding their own coins in a sovereign manner. Metrics continue to demonstrate that. Aside from the price of Bitcoin, the network itself is continuously growing, while altcoins which hope to ride on its coattails simply have no longevity. Bitcoin has proven its resilience by continuing on in the face of existential attacks like the block size wars, political challenges like the story of Silk Road, and major exchange collapses like that of Mt. Gox, or more recently FTX, even major hits to the network such as the drop in hash rate after China's mining ban have proven to be simply speed bumps on Bitcoin's path to dominance. These events only strengthen the narrative of Bitcoin as sovereign monetary policy built upon a network that is resistant to collapse. Yeah, so, you know, there's, I, I have been seeing, again, going back to Noster, the shit coiners are starting to come in, except they're just not staying around very long because they're not picking up much traction. The reason for that is, is that generally speaking right now, Noster is dominated by a bunch of BTC maxis. Fine by me, I'm one of them. But even back from what I'm hearing from people that are kind of drifting over from Twitter is that they're not seeing a whole, they're not seeing as much of the shitcoin narrative as they used to. I can't imagine why. Eh, well, whatever. We got other fish to fry. Canada. Canada has declared a local war on Bitcoin mining. <clears throat> Zach Vol, Bitcoin Magazine. North America became the leading hub 
of Bitcoin mining activity after China's abrupt ban in May 2021. While the United States has grabbed most of the news headlines and a significant portion of investor attention, Canada has also solidified its role as a global leader in mining. From industrial mining farms to off-grid guerrilla mining operations, Canada is home to miners of all stripes. But the final months of 2022 saw several provinces target Bitcoin miners and suspend any new grid connections while environmental assessments were initiated. This article provides an overview of the localized changes and regulatory posture towards the miners. So, mining regulations in Canada. In late 2022, Hydro-Quebec announced its proposal for the province to stop selling cheap power to cryptocurrency miners, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. The proposal called for the Canadian Energy Regulator to suspend the allocation of 270 megawatts requested by cryptocurrency miners. Bitcoin miners in Quebec already recognize that local regulations are too, restrict, too restrictive for easy growth, but this new proposal could make mining in the province even harder. Right after Thanksgiving, Manitoba announced its plans to halt any new electric grid connections for cryptocurrency mining operations. The suspension will last 18 months from November 2022 to allow for a review of the externalities for the mining industry's energy demands. According to the province's financial minister, the 37 currently operating mining facilities in Manitoba will not be affected for now, but recent requests for new connections from 17 different operators have been suspended, according to CBC. Now, just before Christmas, British Columbia made headlines for its efforts to stop mining growth to assess the environmental impacts of cryptocurrency mining operations. An 18-month moratorium has been placed on accepting any new requests for electrical grid connections exclusively from Bitcoin mining companies. The province said at the time that 21 applications that were pending approval have been suspended. Assessing how Bitcoin mining affects the province's environmental goals is the stated reason for BC's 18-month suspension. Before these grid connection limitations, Canada had long stood as a global hub for cryptocurrency growth generally and Bitcoin mining activity in particular with a loose estimate of 7% of global hash rate operating within the Canadian borders. But several localities are starting to make miners feel not so welcome. Two is a coincidence. Three is a trend, as the adage says. All the way at the top of the Canadian government, the current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, or Castro, has made it no secret that he frowns on the entire cryptocurrency industry. After his conservative counterpart, Pierre Poulilov, I can't pronounce his name, voiced strong support for Bitcoin, Trudeau wasted no time firing back by calling his rival's views irresponsible and cryptocurrency volatile. From his personal Twitter, however, Trudeau has never tweeted about crypto, Bitcoin, or mining. So what is the Canadian mining landscape right now? Mining discourse generally references North America collectively or the United States individually, but Canada plays a significant role in bolstering the hash rate staying online across the North American region. And for the most part, Canadian miners endure much harsher client climates than the Southern counterparts. For example, Upstream Data CEO Steve Barber shared pictures of, on Twitter of the underappreciated destructive effects of harsh Canadian weather on Bitcoin mining operations. 
Frozen cables, iced hardware, and large snowdrifts do not make for ideal mining conditions. But some of the most well-known public and private mining companies operate or are headquartered in Canada. For publicly traded firms, the last or this list includes Bitfarms, Sato Technologies, Hut 8, and more. The roster of private companies based or operating in Canada includes Compass Mining, Bitfury, Upstream Data, and others. Nearly all of these brands are quasi-household names in the Bitcoin economy and often play key roles in advocating for and educating about Bitcoin. Canada's footprint in the Bitcoin market is not small. Local hostility to operational Bitcoin mining expansions may be recent news in Canada, but the broader industry is no stranger to this particular sentiment. The entire industry banded together to vociferously oppose a proposed two-year moratorium in New York for fossil fuel-powered mining expansion projects. In late November 2022, the bill passed. The move was cheered by other left-leaning politicians, and Canada seems to be copying their playbook. Canada's new posture towards minor also imitates <coughs> another international mining hotspot, Kazakhstan. After absorbing an abundance of mining activity that left China, Kazakhstan started proposing power consumption limitations for new mining activity in October 2021. Pausing here to remind you that Kazakhstan held out a carrot of, hey, you're going to not pay any taxes and we're going to give you cheap uh, contractual electricity rates. And then they basically rug pulled all the miners after they set up. All right. That was unethical, honestly. So how are Canadian miners reacting? News of Quebec's proposal to spend any new grid connections was widely shared among Bitcoin social circles on Twitter. Unsurprisingly, the chatter was uniformly negative and critical. Upstream Data's barber was not altogether shocked, though. Taking to Twitter, he noted that Quebec is once again censoring Bitcoin miners. Why are the proposed grid connection limitations unsurprising? Because miners compete with utilities, according to Barber. Quote, expect increasing discrimination, he tweeted. Despite changing regulatory sentiment, some of Canada's biggest miners still plan to expand. Bitfarm said it continues to look to expand its operations in Quebec and add more jobs across the region in a press release published shortly after news of Hydro-Quebec's proposal broke. Quantifying Bitfarm's impact on the local economy, the press release added Bitfarms has invested over $350 million Canadian dollars in Quebec since its inception and currently employs over 100 employees. Political favor or hostility toward Bitcoin ultimately means very little for the long-term success of the network. In the short term, however, regulatory limitations can make life very difficult for mining companies trying to process transactions and find new blocks. Any regulatory opposition from Canada is highly unlikely to rival China's all-out ban from 2021. But multiple localities suspending all new requests for grid connections is extremely disruptive all the same. Canadian provinces now face a choice. Risk losing hash rate to other jurisdictions or embrace mining and the heavily documented socioeconomic benefits it affords. So it looks to me very much that um, Canada is going to shoot itself in the foot again. However, that's just not surprising. It's almost as if Justin Trudeau hates his own country. Uh, he hates the truckers. You know, it, 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 he, hates, he hates any kind of sovereignty. 
Now I'm hearing something about uh, hunters having to turn in their guns. I'd take that with a grain of salt. I have no evidence at all. Just I hear, you know, when I hear more than five people talk about it, I start wondering if there's something actually going on. But again, take that with a grain of salt. It's, I think Canada is just kind of a no-go until Justin Trudeau is gone. And even then, you know, who's going to take his place? But we know he's a WEF stooge. And if he goes, another WEF stooge is probably going to take his place and it'll be very much like meet the new boss, same as the old boss. I, you know, it just, it is what it is. It's sad to watch, but I get the feeling that there's going to be a lot of people that just hang it up and just move to the United States or even further down South to be damned honest. But here's another look at mining this time from the United States. United States Bitcoin miners increased its annual BTC production by 200% last year. This is BTC Casey again for Bitcoin Magazine. God, he writes a lot. CleanSpark, a publicly traded Bitcoin miner based in Las Vegas, Nevada, has announced their December 2022 Bitcoin mining update. In addition to comments from the CEO reflecting on 2022, quote, among our many accomplishments this year, I am most proud of increasing our annual Bitcoin production by over 200% as we expand our fleet and the number of mining campuses that we own and operate throughout Georgia, said Zach Bradford, CEO in the release. Quote, <clears throat> even in this down market, we are committed to the promise of Bitcoin and are proud to be part of the global network that keeps it secure for millions of users across the world. The company mined a total of 464 Bitcoin in the month of December alone to conclude 2022 with the total of 4,621 Bitcoin mined. As of December 31st, the company held 228 Bitcoin while it sold 517 Bitcoin in December for operations and growth. Like other public miners this year, CleanSpark has faced a dramatic downturn in its stock price, just as the price of Bitcoin fell similarly. Despite this, when priced in Bitcoin, CleanSpark has maintained a relatively steady valuation and has continued to expand its operations. In September, mining expert Zach Vol detailed how the energy company turned minor in con is continuing to grow despite the various headwinds currently present in the Bitcoin market. This continued with ASIC acquisitions in the following months, as well as record production of Bitcoin in October. The December report also detailed the company's operational reactions to the winter storm which ravaged the United States that month, describing how 98% of its machines present in Georgia were powered down due to the conditions. The machines were turned back on as soon as the temperature and humidity levels permitted. So while Canada is taking a giant dump on their miners, it looks like miners in the United States continue unabated. Who's going to win that war? Well, right now, the United States is walking all up and down Canada. But watch out because we've got a, a clown show up in Washington, D.C., and they may very well do the same. You can't trust these people. You just can't trust them, which is, this is, and this is one of the very reasons why I always say this. I could give less of a crap as to whether or not the West or the Western world, and I've got air quotes up, adopt Bitcoin. I don't care. Because that's not who's important right now. Latin America, all of Latin America, right? 
That's one. Africa, the entire continent. That's two. Baltics, Balkans, Far Eastern Europe. That it, those, These are the places that actually matter because when you think about it, you got China and Russia that are cozying up, not included in the West, but they don't like Bitcoin either, right? You got the West, which it could go either way, right? but you, you know who it's populated by. It's populated by a bunch of woke, WEF stooges. And they don't like Bitcoin because Bitcoin represents a complete loss of control in the power structures of the world. They clearly do not like this shit. So that's US, Canada, Western Europe, you, you name it, right? Africa and Latin America by themselves, by themselves represents a horrendously more amount of land mass and population than Western Europe, United States, and Canada does. Take note, because that's where this shit is really, really going to set off. And then the West will probably have somewhere close to something like no choice but to do it. But as to whether or not the West drives Bitcoin adoption, I don't care. Because I don't think it's going to drive Bitcoin adoption. And even if they start really taking a dump on mining, it's just going to go to Central America or Latin America, any one of a number of African countries, Baltics, Balkans, you name it. It's, you can't, I mean, you'd have to have all 270 countries of the world coordinate all together and agree on a singular plan to stop this. These assholes can't tie their shoes very well, much less make a deal between two countries. We're talking 253, 270 countries that would all have to ban everything about Bitcoin at once. And even then it's just, it would just be black market. And I don't think we even have to worry about 270 countries banning together to do anything because like I said, they can't coordinate a luncheon, much less taking down the one thing that could possibly save humanity because we outnumber them. Always remember that. We outnumber them. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, West Texas intermediate 1.75% to the upside coming in at $75 and six cents per barrel. I guess old Brandon got his wish and he's going to be able to replenish the strategic petroleum reserves at $75 a barrel, which is what he said he was going to do. And yet I have seen zero news about Brandon making massive oil purchases at $75 a barrel to replenish said strategic petroleum reserves. Guess we got lied to again. Brent Norsea up one and a half points to $79.75. Natural gas up 9.38%, but is holding at $4.06 per thousand cubic feet. Guys, this thing was at 10 bucks a thousand cubic feet, not more than a handful of months ago. Seriously. I mean, this is weird, man. Natural gas trading is just, it, it defies my imagination. Gasoline up 3.11%, $2.31 a gallon. Gold is up 
a third of a point to $1,875. Silver is down half a point to $23.85. Platinum is down over half a point. Copper is up 2.77%. Uh, Palladium is down, however, 2%. Ag is fully, well, not fully, just flipped. Uh, was fully green. Uh, who's the biggest winner? Chocolate, 2.99% to the upside. Next biggest winner is Rough Rice, 0.82% to the upside. Coffee's the loser today, 1.11% to the downside. Dow is up almost half a point. S&P is up 1.03%. NASDAQ is up 2.18%. S&P Mini is up 0.84%. Real money. And guess what? I get to read BitInfo charts again. I guess they got their little horse fixed. Uh, $17,372.94. Thank you, Bitcoin. Uh, let's see. Transactions are numbering in the, ooh, it's pretty low, man. 269,621 transactions in the last 24 hours. That is a mere 11,200 transactions every hour on the hour. Uh, 225. No point. 225,789 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. The, let's see, what else have we got here? Average transaction value is 0 0.83 BTC. Median transaction value is really low. 0 0.019 BTC or a mere 325 bucks. Guys, it was that was the average like last year. And when I mean last year, I mean like last January. Right. So, wow. Time flies. Block time. Pretty stable. Uh, 10 minutes and eight seconds. We have uh, 0.067 BTC taken uh, in fees on a per block basis and 9.57 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours in fees. Hash rate 258.61 exahashes per second. That's after an almost full point dip in hash rate. And your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 0.079 United States pennies. Uh, or no, actually dollars, or 7.9 United States pennies. That is way too high. Way, way, way too high. And I, like, some of the, what while I was prepping for the show today and I was reading through news articles, of course, I'm not going to bring you the, you know, news stories about Solana unless it, you know, impacts directly to Bitcoin, but I'm just reading all kinds of shit about all these shit coins. Like, why is Ethereum up today? Why do you think? Because Bitcoin's up today. Why is Dogecoin up today? Why is Solana and, and, and TRX up today? Because they all follow the Bitcoin chart. I don't get this. Why would you waste your time writing an article about why Ethereum is up when you know why? Because Bitcoin is up. It's the same chart. I, I don't understand, except that it appears to me that we, we didn't get to eject the naivete with the FTX collapse or Voyager or any, any of that other stuff that happened right before FTX. It doesn't look like anybody learned their lesson for the fourth straight time in this industry. It's sad to see. It's sad to look at my fellow humans and go, how stupid are you? I, I, I mean, I know that just sounds elitist and, and, and horrible thing for me to say, but I don't know what else to say. I can't look at these people and go, 
well, one of these days you'll get it. Well, when? I think the answer is never. Well, I've said it before. You're never going to see shit coins go away. You know, we keep, I guess people keep hoping that it will, but it won't. So don't expect it anytime soon. Now on to Clark Moody's dashboard. We have 9,699 transactions waiting on, God dang, 48 blocks to clear. How the hell is it? There's got to be a problem there. I don't think it's going to take 48 blocks to clear 9,756 transactions. Okay. By the way, the transaction number keeps going up. I don't know what's going on there, but, but we'll just continue on. We have a $334.8 billion market cap, which is 2.69% of gold's entire market cap. And yes, you can still get 9.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,256,984.81 of and 5,171.12 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $89.9 million, being run over 15,967 nodes, sporting 75,477 payment channels, and 69.0% of all of that is being run over Tor's associated 11,228 Lightning nodes. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two, the news that you can use. USDOJ has announced the seizure of 55 million Robinhood shares. Turner Wright, Cointelegraph. The United States Department of Justice has officially notified the court handling the bankruptcy of BlockFi that it has seized assets as part of the criminal case against crypto exchange FTX and its executives. In January, I'm... I'm not understanding. I guess we'll find out. In a January 6th court filing, the Justice Department said it had seized 55,273,469 shares of Robinhood, to which former FTX CEO Sam Bankman fried BlockFi and FTX creditor Yothan Ben Shimon had previously made claims. The stock was worth more than $450 million at the time of publication. The DOJ noted it had also taken control of more than $20 million in United States currency from the brokerage firm ED&F Man Capital Markets. Reports from January the 4th had suggested that the Justice Department was in the process of seizing the Robinhood shares as part of the case against FTX. Bankman Fried's legal team confirmed on January the 5th that the DOJ had moved forward with seizing the shares, but still argued the former FTX CEO had a claim to the assets to pay for his criminal defense. Quote, the charges in the indictment arose from an alleged wide-ranging scheme by the defendant to misappropriate billions of dollars of customer funds deposited onto FTX, the international cryptocurrency exchange founded by Bankman Fried, said the court filing. Quote, the indictment includes forfeiture allegations seeking to forfeit property that constitutes or was derived from proceeds traceable to the conspiracy to commit wire fraud, wire fraud, and property involved in the conspiracy to commit money laundering. End quote. 
Following his arrest in the Bahamas and extradition to the United States in December, Bakeman Fried pled not guilty to not one, not two, but eight criminal charges, including wire fraud and violations of campaign finance laws. Former Alameda Research CEO Carolyn Ellison and FTX co-founder Gary Wang have already pled guilty to related charges. SBF's criminal trial is scheduled to begin in October. Bankruptcy proceedings for FTX separate from the or separate from the criminal case are also ongoing with the next public hearing scheduled for January the 11th. That's in that's on Wednesday. Parties representing FTX debtors have also pointed to assets connected to the crypto exchange and its former executives. As many customers look to recover lost or missing funds, you will never recover those missing funds. It's never going to happen. Your money is gone. And yet here's what you will do. Not you guys, you guys know better, but here's what you will do. You will go buy the next new shitcoin because naivete was not put to death. I don't know what will put naivete to death, but I can't wait for that day. Digital Currency Group is another set of idiots that got overextended and they are under investigation by United States authorities. Anna Paula Piera, Cointelegraph. Crypto conglomerate Digital Currency Group, or DCG, is under investigation by the United States Department of Justice's Eastern District of New York, who could have guessed, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, according to a Bloomberg report. <coughs> the authorities are digging into internal transfers between DCG and its subsidiary crypto lending firm Genesis Global Capital, according to the report, which cited people familiar with the matter. Prosecutors have already requested interviews and documents from both companies while the SEC is running a similar early stage inquiry. As of yet, no indictment has been brought against DCG. I repeat, no indictment has been brought against DCG at this time, nor has either U.S. agency provided any information about the case. A spokesperson for DCG said the company was unaware of an investigation. <laughs> It's <laughs> this bullshit. Of course you're aware of the investigation. Quote, DCG has a strong culture of integrity and has always conducted its business lawfully. We have no knowledge or any reason to believe that there is any, any Eastern District of New York investigation into DCG. Bullshit. That's a bold-faced lie. I'm just going to pause here. If you don't know yet, this is Barry Silbert's outfit, okay? And Genesis is like the Winklevi stuff, right? It just, I mean, it, they're all interconnected. But DCG, that's the people that are basically the parent company, I think of like, I want to say Coindesk, as well as GBTC, the Greater Bitcoin Trust or whatever they call the Genesis Bitcoin Trust. I don't know, it, it, whatever its name is, GBTC. And it's the one that's been in the news for like the last two years of having a price that is well below the spot price for Bitcoin. And it's, got, it's trading at a discount by like 20 to 25%, right? And none of us can figure out how this shit is holding together until you realize that the, the whole DCG is, is held up by the fact that Barry Silver gets a 2% commission of just holding your GBTC shares, 
which cannot be converted into Bitcoin. And he's been trying to convert it into an ETF. And now here we go. Department of Justice is investigating, or at least the Eastern District of New York is investigating. They know that they're being investigated. The fact that they're lying about it should tell you all you need to know about the quote unquote integrity that they deal with their customers with, right? It's all bullshit. These people are all slime and they're all gonna get hung out to dry. And guess who's gonna learn their lesson? No one. Let's continue. Genesis is one of the companies affected by the contiguous wave following the collapse of FTX in November. According to the firm's disclosure on November the 10th, it has $175 million locked up in an FTX trading account. Genesis halted withdrawals on November the 16th due to liquidity issues and has engaged with investment bank Moyalysis and company to assist with restructuring. Genesis, now here's the big one. Genesis owes $900 million to the crypto exchange Gemini. Oh, I'm sorry. Gemini is the Winklevi outfit, not Genesis. Gemini is the Winklevi outfit. They operated together in a product called Gemini Earn, which allows crypto investors to earn 8% interest on their crypto loans. Gemini claims that DCG failed to repay Genesis, uh, leading to a failure of payments to Gemini's clients. Among other DCG subsidiaries are Grayscale, that's it, Grayscale Investments, Media Outlet, Coindesk, Crypto Exchange, Luno, and Bitcoin Mining Company, Foundry. Cointelegraph reported that most of Grayscale's trust funds are trading at a discount, with Ethereum Classic Trust trading at the deepest discount of 77%. Oh, God, on January the 4th, followed by the Litecoin Trust at 65 and Bitcoin Cash Trust at 57 all three of those are just pure shit. And Barry's going to get exactly what he deserves on this. It's, it's Bitcoin karma coming around because Barry was one of the guys that sat at the New York meeting and signed his name to a sheet of paper saying that they were going to fuck all of Bitcoin by increasing the block size and nobody had anything to say about it. So they forked Bitcoin and <clears throat> they thought they thought that all the developers were going to go, well, all these miners and these big companies that, you know, they're, they're forking Bitcoin. We've got to go over and work on that. And not a single ass moved out of their chair to defend anything that the New York group was trying to do. Nobody came to their rescue except a couple of developers. And those guys screwed it up so bad that right before their chain was supposed to mine its first block, it failed because of a math error in the code, right? That's, that's who these people are. Barry Silbert's going to get his. And I think he's sort of the last domino. He's not, I think he's the last proverbial domino to fall because he was one of the first people in the space. And if he had just kept his shit together and truly been ethical, he would have been able to ride his 2% fees out into the sunset and ride off into the sunset on his like pale white horse and just been fine. But no, no. Ego, apparently the human ego requires that you inject yourself into something much bigger than yourself and try to control it 
rather than injecting yourself into something bigger than yourself and trying to add to it. Barry wanted control and he's going to get his ass handed to him for it. Whatever. FTX, getting it back into the FTX. This is a, we're going to find out what they were spending their money on or at least $400 million or $40 million of it. They spend it on food, flights, and hotels in nine months. According to court filings, Martin Young tells us about it, Cointelegraph. FTX's Bahamian or Bahaman company spent a staggering amount of, of money on luxury hotels and accommodations, flights and food in the nine months before the exchange's collapse court filings have revealed. According to bankruptcy court documents reviewed by Business Insider, FTX Digital Markets went through $40 million between last January and September before filing for bankruptcy in November because of, quote, liquidity issues. More than $15 million of it went to luxury hotels and accommodations, $5.8 million of that at one resort, the Albany Hotel. This is a luxury resort and is where Sam Bankman-Fried lived in his $30 million penthouse until his arrest. Around $3.6 million went on to the Grand Hyatt, a four-star hotel that hosted British royalty back in March. There was also $800,000 spent on a five-star Rosewood Resort. Furthermore, almost $7 million was spent on meals and entertainment with around half of that on catering services, according to the documents. Nearly $4 million was spent on flights, and over $500,000 was spent on postage and delivery. $500,000 on stamps, ladies and gentlemen. FTX even made a private deal with an air carrier to fly their Amazon orders from a Miami depot since the e-commerce giant didn't deliver to the Bahamas, according to London's Financial Times. Well, that's just shipping, dude. <clears throat> and FT Financial Times added that the firm also provided Bahamas staff with a full suite of cars and gas covered for all employees and unlimited full expense covered trips to any office globally. In December, a former employee revealed the extent of the company's excessive luxury expenditure, saying it was cult like. The entire operation was iconically and moronically inefficient, she said at the time. FTX also made numerous donations to local charities and organizations in the Bahamas. There's been speculation that some of these donations may have been returned as the Caribbean island nation tries to move on, according to a January 8th report in local media. Bankman Fried entered a plea of not guilty to eight criminal charges. Yeah, we know. Now, that cult-like thing, you know, one of the things that... uh, a 1500 mile drive will will make you do is, is uh, you'll listen to a lot of podcasts, but when you're with your family, you're not listening to Bitcoin podcasts. No, 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 no. You're listening to what your wife wants to listen to. Ask me how I know. Although thankfully she actually listens to some kind of cool shit. And one of the things that we listened to was like a six part series of the rise and collapse of the company called WeWork. Now, I don't know if you remember what happened, but these guys broke it down pretty succinctly. And even the news that was reporting on it at the time of the collapse had, there was just, there was no way, no way 
that they were reporting or that they were able to report on just how deep the cult like experience was going because that's, I mean, they didn't know very much. It wasn't until months and a couple of years after that they started pulling this shit together and really figuring out what the hell happened to all this money from SoftBank and JP Morgan. It was insane. But the thing that keeps coming and ringing back in my head was the various times that they referred to the upper management and the entirety of WeWork as being a cult or cult-like was refrained. They said it several times. Uh, like uh, ex-employees were like, yeah, dude, it was like a cult. And then they bought this company and they were talking to the employees of the company that were being folded into WeWork and they were terrified of what they saw. They called the people at WeWork pod people, that they had drunk the Kool-Aid and that it was, was it, it was just a matter of time before they all ended up in a cult, whether they wanted to be there or not because their company got bought by WeWork. And then the whole fucking thing fell apart. And it was a spectacular fail. FTX looks like it was pretty much operating under the same way. Just cult-like without any regard to a fiduciary commitment that was structured or taken seriously, right? I mean, if you're going to be, you know, like I think it was $1.4 billion that SoftBank poured in to WeWork and they really didn't do anything with it but party and buy stupid companies like a wave machine for because the CEO of WeWork was an avid surfer. So he bought not a wave machine, he bought the company that built wave machines as an investment for the company. That's not the way you do this. I'm just saying. So I expect to see, I expect to actually see a lot of this. I expect to see a whole bunch of unicorn companies, whether they're crypto or not, just start falling apart. And the whole of San Francisco, the, the Bay Area VC camp just gets liquidated. And it's going to be, it's going to be great to see because we've got to eject this bullshit, but nobody will learn their lesson. And I think that that's important going forward is that even though we eject a bunch of this stuff and we will in 2023, we're going to eject a whole bunch of garbage. Nobody's going to learn their lesson. How can you benefit from that? Without being unethical, without stealing somebody's shit, without telling them that they're buying a coin that's going to be worth something, without any of that, okay? I'm talking about just being a decent human being to each other. How can you benefit from the fact that nobody is going to learn their lesson? That's, I just, I'm just going to leave that question hanging while we move on to Justin's son. He's moving $100 million worth of stablecoin to Huobi amid a Russia withdrawals. Oh boy, Decrypt.co's Matt DeSalvo has it. Crypto mogul and Tron founder Justin Sun today moved $100 million of his stablecoin. Now, by the way, I'm just going to pause. This was back three days ago, but it's in the news. So uh, he moved $100 million of his stablecoins to his crypto exchange, Huobi, after news dropped that it was laying off staff. According to blockchain data from Nansen, the cash was withdrawn from Binance and then sent to Huobi 
which Sun has a majority stake in. The money was in the form of USD coin and Tether. Sun then, sorry, Sun then confirmed to Bloomberg that he moved the personal funds because it shows the confidence to Huobi Exchange. Mm, Nansen Martin Lee uh, said on Twitter that the transfer might be to help with the increased withdrawals or maintain a level of confidence in the exchange. Well, why not both? Clients, uh, clients have been withdrawing funds in large amounts. Nansen today said that $60.9 million of the $94.2 million in net outflows in the past week occurred in the past 24 hours. Let's repeat that. $60.9 million of the total $94.2 million of net outflow for the past week occurred in 24 hours. That looks like an acceleration curve to me, and that's never good. Continuing on, <clears throat> Singapore-based Wobi, the fourth largest digital asset exchange with a 24-hour trading volume of $371 million, has been hit with troubles lately. Today, Reuters reported that it would lay off 20% of its staff after Sun denied the rumors. And last week, it was reported by independent crypto journalist Colin Wu that staff salaries were being paid in stablecoin, which led to protests from employees. Decrypt reached out to Sun and his spokespeople, but did not receive a response. Sun and his team have repeatedly said people are spreading FUD around the exchange. Quote, first, it's important to recognize that the world of crypto can be volatile and uncertain at times. There will always be ups and downs, and it's easy to get caught up in the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that can come with it, Sun said on Twitter on Friday. Huobi's FUD comes at a time when confidence in digital asset exchanges is shaky. <laughs> Last month, the world's biggest exchange, Binance, issued a statement reassuring clients that its finances were in order. Read that as funds are SAFU. In November, FTX, one of the most popular and well-marketed crypto exchanges, blew up in a spectacular collapse. The company lost billions of dollars in client funds after it was allegedly mismanaged by a very small group of grossly inexperienced and unsophisticated individuals. According to its new CEO, John Ray, who is overseeing the company's bankruptcy restructuring, FTX's troubles started when the sell-off in the exchange's FTT token rocked customer confidence and led clients to rush to take their funds out. This led to a liquidity crunch that forced the company to admit it did not hold one-to-one -one reserves of client assets, ultimately causing the exchange to disable withdrawals before filing for bankruptcy. The same thing, this is me talking, the same thing's gonna happen to Huobi. Is this, we're, we're, we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. We got to a clearing and we can at least look at the sky and maybe see the stars at night and get our bearings as to whether directions, you know, what directions we need to be traveling in. But honestly, we're in the eye of the storm probably. I think 2023 is gonna hold the other part of the hurricane. Huobi is gonna be in the middle of it and DCG is gonna go down and it's just gonna be it's going to be the same thing, only the same, right? All these people are being flushed down the toilet and Bitcoin price is going to take a hit again. I'm sorry, but you know, I've, I've said it before and I don't mean to be callous, but if you're not prepared for that, you're in, you're, you're, you're not ready for this. 
I think most of the people that listen to the show are definitely ready for it. I think most of us are actually kind of cheering it on. We need to flush the crap down this toilet because it just, it just, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And without a purge, and this is a big purge. See, Barry Silver has been around since be like, I don't know, 20, before 2015, you know, and I was just bitching about him signing the New York agreement to increase block size on Bitcoin and telling everybody that they were just going to have to go along with it. And we didn't, right? He's never been flushed down the toilet before. He's going to go down the toilet <coughs> with all these new guys. So even some of the old guard are going to be collected up with Justin Sun and Sam Bankman Fried and all these new guys. And they're all going down together this time. And that's, that's kind of different than what we've seen before. And we're, you know, the world is going into a recession slash depression and Bitcoin has never dealt with that before. Bitcoin is going to survive this. And what's funny is, can you imagine surviving that kind of carnage? Being the only one standing, even though, even though we know that nobody's going to learn their lesson, but for a brief moment, only Bitcoin will survive. Can you imagine how much lying you have to do to go up against Bitcoin at that point and say it's a scam or that it's worthless or that it has no intrinsic value? Can you imagine being that person to come up with those sentences when Bitcoin will literally be the only thing standing? It's all going down this year, guys. I don't know what quarter it will be over with. I'm just going to say it'll all be over by the fourth quarter of this year. And in 2024, you will see the new branding of the, the new Justin Sons, the new shit coins, the new altcoins, the new DeFi. It's all going to be generated again. <clears throat> Don't engage and you'll be safe. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, we got to have a joke. Call me a cactus because I'm a prick. That's a good one to start the day with <clears throat> and to start the year with. So what have we learned? We haven't, apparently. And that's, I think that's a critical feature. I've, I've been harping on this for a while, but I, I get the feeling that I need to, you know, somehow or another solidify it. The point is, we're not learning anything. The, the great guts and feathers of us, whether you're in crypto or the wider financial world or VC or anything to do with economics and politics, we're not learning. I don't know what has happened to the human species, but we're not learning from our mistakes, which means, my dad used to tell me this. He said, on an oil rig, because that's what he did. He, he drilled oil wells. Now, he didn't like, he wasn't a roughneck. He actually planned the whole thing. But the roughnecks are the guys that are out on a platform that represents the most dangerous place that you can be standing anywhere on the planet at any given time. You have a better chance of survival crossing 
the White Sands missile site in the United States on foot and not get killed than you do on an oil rig. And he always told me this. If you work with stupid people, they are going to get you and others hurt. And yet somehow they themselves never get a scratch. Their mistakes will have some will will make somebody chop their foot off on an oil well. Yeah, you drop a drill stem down on your foot, you might as well just drag your foot back. That that actually happened. That was a story that I was told that yeah, drill stem got dropped. Uh, the the winch came down on the on the pad, and the drill stem just kind of just went down on somebody's foot. And the guy started screaming. He's like, "Lift it up, lift it up!" And his buddy said. Just pull your foot back, dude. It's over. And he pulled his foot back and it was just severed in half. And that was somebody else's mistake that was working right next to him. We are all living with these people that refuse to learn from their mistakes. Two questions that I'll leave you with. How do you benefit from it without being unethical? And how do you survive it? The answer to the second question Honestly, it's not even an answer. It's, it's a way out, but it's not the total answer. Get out of the cities. If you can move out of the center of any large city, or I mean, when I say the city, 250,000 population is too big for me. That is a, that's a hot point, right? 50,000, maybe. I'm looking for, if you need to live inside of a town, you're looking for 15,000. May sound boring. Figure out how to entertain yourself, all right? You need to get away from great gobs of people who clearly have no capacity to learn from their mistakes and from the mistakes of others. And I'm seeing this all over the place. As walled gardens burn down, I am rushing away from those centers of population, even in the digital cities. Twitter, you might as well consider it New York City. Facebook, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, they're all burning down. You've got to get out into the rural areas where we can rebuild and not have idiots looking over our shoulders. That's Noster. I, I reiterate my stance here Please spend the time, get a private key, public key pair that's generated for you from one of, you know, one of like Iris or Noster. Um, I've heard bad things about Enigma and that's where I generated my private key. I may have to regenerate a new private key somewhere else, but just start somewhere. It doesn't have to be perfect. Do not let perfect be the enemy of the good, but get out. If you can physically get out of the city on the physical planet, do so. Go somewhere rural. Get out. If you want to get or if you want to be away from the people that are stupid digitally, like altcoiners and shitcoiners and Justin Sun, then get out of Twitter. Get out of Facebook. Get out of LinkedIn. Get out of all this shit and search for another place that is not a walled garden. We can't have this model anymore. It causes too much damage because these walled gardens can contain too much mass. And when the walls break, bad things happen. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.